It's time for another episode of I'd Rather Be at the Beach, brought to you by me. I'm Simon, and I run the Bonjour Agency. If you work in an independent school, then this is the podcast for you, but we don't talk about work. Instead, we talk to people who work in the independent school sector about what they're like when they're not at work and the things that they're into. And today we have a director of marketing with us. It's Fane Henderson. He's at the Lees School in Cambridgeshire. Now, Fane and I know each other from when he was at Bedford Modern School before he joined the Lees, but we also catch up each year at the AMKIS conference. It's a great opportunity, really, to catch up with various people at that event. That said, there was so much about Fane that I didn't know, so talking to him on this podcast was a great way to talk about non-work things. I get to bring all of that to you today. So let's not waste any more time, but instead, come with me as we jump into this conversation and speak to Director of Marketing, it's Fane Henderson. Fane Henderson, welcome to this episode of I'd Rather Be at the Beach. How are you doing today? Yeah, good, thank you. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Well, it's good to talk to you. It's good to have you here today. Uh, we're recording this on a Thursday. How does a typical Thursday look for you? Yeah, it's a tricky question because every day is kind of completely different to every other day. We've got all the pupils are kind of back and settled in after the summer break and are gearing up for the, the new admission cycle. Uh, we've got our big open events kind of coming up. So, yeah, it's all... All kind of heads down getting sorted for all those and just for the sake of people listening even though we're not talking about work as such but uh, i mean what what kind of school is the lees is it co-ed yeah so we're um, a co-ed um, school based in the center of cambridge about 570 pupils on roll at the moment um, and that's a fairly even split between day and boarding and what kind of age range are you so we from, take from year seven and go all the way through to sixth form um, but yeah our main main entries are kind of year nine and, and sixth form okay okay all right got it Got it. And how long have you been there for? So I've been here for just over a year and a half now. And from memory, you were at Bedford Modern before, weren't you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was there for just over three years. Okay, right. Now, tell me what, what took you into this wonderful world of school marketing in the first place? The reason why I'm asking this is because I don't think many people leave school or leave university thinking, I know I want to go and work back in a school doing some kind of marketing. I, don't, I just don't think it's even on people's radars. I'm not saying that people actively choose not to do it and then accidentally end up doing it, but I just don't think it even features on their radar. But how did you fall into it? Yeah, so I mean, I um, came into it in a very kind of long, long way. I started off um, doing a degree in music. I yeah, did a degree in music, finished that, and did a master's in music management. Right. Um, and then I worked in the music department, um, sorry, in the music industry for about 10 years. So I kind of started off in music education, um, working with kind of amateur musicians, um, a very kind of quirky place uh, called Benslow Music in Hertfordshire. Mm-hmm. And it's a, a kind of small charity that works with um, adult learners who are coming back to music, usually after a kind of at the end of their career, they're taking up the piano, which they might have played, you know, as a child and they want to go back to it. Now they're retired and they have the time to devote to it. Um, so, yeah, we ran kind of sh- short courses uh, for adult learners. Um, so I was there for about six years. So that was um, kind of the fir- my first career job. Um, and then I moved on to kind of more concert and artist promotion. Ended up kind of working in London for a big artist management, kind of international artist management agency. But by that stage, I'd kind of focused down on marketing. And at the end of that process, I was kind of done with music. It was very... It took a lot of time. Um, it was a lot of evenings, a lot of weekends. And by that stage, I had a young family at home and uh, kind of commuting into London um, and yeah, basically not, not seeing them as much as I wanted to. I was kind of looking for something which would fit in a bit better around kind of family life um, and something that made a bit more sense to me. So having kind of young children, it's, you know, I understand what parents are looking for because I'm obviously looking for it for my own children. And yeah, school marketing just seemed like a really nice fit. Um, I'd kind of worked in education before. 
and I saw kind of a lot of transferable skills um, going into kind of schools marketing. So yeah, that's kind of how I ended up there um, and haven't looked back since. It's Yeah, it's been fantastic. You see, I, I, I love this podcast channel for, for this real reason, which is that you can talk to people and find out something you had no idea at all about. I, I had no idea, no clue that you're in the world of music, music education. And having studied music at university as well, so so tell me, was it was it the music that you were into, or was it the music management, or working in the business of music? Yeah, I mean, I started off with absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. So when I finished my A levels, um, I knew I didn't want to pursue music as a kind of a performing musician or anything like that. But I knew that music was something that I was very interested in. So I thought I'd kind of figure that out while I went through my degree. Mm. And by the end of it, I still hadn't figured it out. So I took um, a couple of years, you know, kind of working in pubs and restaurants and things, just trying to figure out exactly what I wanted to do with it. And um, Bain, yeah, I'm 49. Music- I'm still trying to figure out what to do. I think most, <laughs> most of the people listening to this are still trying to figure out what they're trying to do as well. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I kind of, I had the idea that, you know, music promotion would be something that I'd like to pursue. So I was, I was running kind of gigs and things around Oxford, which is where I was at university, Oxford Brooks, um, before anyone gets any ideas that I was at Oxford, Oxford. But yeah, it was um, a great place to be. We were kind of promoting kind of local artists. We were, um, you know, running classical concerts around the city. And that was something I kind of thought I really wanted to do that. But it was so competitive I felt like I needed something to kind of give me the edge in getting kind of started in that industry. So yeah, I did a, a master's degree in music management, which kind of yeah, gave me those skills. But you are musical yourself then, are you? Yeah, I still play. I play um, piano, um, guitar and various other instruments, not quite as well. But um, yeah, I've not really played as much as I kind of wish I did in the in the last kind of few years. See, a lot of people find this, don't they? You know, they, they get to a certain age in life and usually it's when children come along and then it's one of the first things to go, which feels to me like a real shame when, you know, I imagine that playing music, playing playing the piano brings a lot of joy to you when you do it. And I imagine that if I asked you, you'd probably say, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you'd probably say that you would like to spend more time doing it, but you just don't really have the time available. Is that right? I think so, yeah. I mean, I've always, when I was younger, I really used playing the piano as a kind of stress release or you know a way to kind of manage my emotions at the time and so that kind of got me through that and so I've always kind of had that so anytime I'm feeling you know particularly stressed at work or you know I've got some kind of you know something to deal with I sit down and play the piano and it just relaxes me it's a great and I still do that I still you know take the time to do that but yeah I mean I, I don't think I'd ever want to kind of go back to doing it as much as I did when I was studying I mean the other thing is I played guitar in a lot of bands when I was growing up so I mean something which a lot of people are very surprised to hear these days I used to play in a lot of punk and heavy metal bands growing up awesome um, yeah I was having um, a conversation with colleagues at lunch the other day um, and I was telling them about all the bands that I used to play in and the fact that I used to have long hair and piercings and all this kind of thing and they just didn't believe it so I had to <laughs> dig out a few videos and photos and yeah they were they were quite shocked brilliant I'm dying to see these now dying to see these <laughs> Uh, so let me ask you then about music. I mean, when you're when you're in the car on your own, what kind of music are you playing? Yeah, I mean, my playlist is incredibly diverse. I had a colleague um, that I was driving to a conference with and I had my playlist on. She said, this is the most chaotic playlist I've ever heard. And it was just going from, you know, Slipknot to Handel Arias to jazz to, you know, Irish folk music. It's, yeah, I've got an incredibly broad um music musical interests okay so so give give me a clue then because you mentioned about uh about slipknot you mentioned about handle I, I don't know slipknot i do know handle uh but but like you and i think like a lot of people we do tend to listen to 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 quite diverse music some people think that they listen to diverse music there's that famous line in 
uh, in the Blues Brothers, isn't there? Oh yeah, we have both kinds of music. Uh, uh, we we have we no, we have all kinds of music. We have country and western, <laughs> but but your music really does sound to be uh, more eclectic than most. But tell tell me tell me what it is about listening to different kinds of music that appeals to you so much yeah i mean i think it's it's all kind of different stages of my life i've been interested in different things i kind of i tend to shift quite wildly between my interests so kind of when i was growing up it was you know the punk and the heavy metal and that was the kind of music that i identified with as a teenager um and then through studying at university i, I never kind of dropped that but i started becoming more interested in kind of world music looking at um you know we were studying irish folk music that was kind of like a big thing for me during university so i kind of shifted in that direction when you say irish folk music i'm thinking christy moore and people like that well more to kind of traditional kind of jigs and reels and things Ooh. um yeah it's um something like my brother got me into because he he's um, a very good kind of folk musician um and yeah so there's i had a, a kind of an interest in that during university um and then out the other end i when i started working in the kind of classical music industry um, baroque opera was something that I'd never really encountered before um, and we had this really interesting course that we ran when I was at Benslow Music where we did it was we produced a, an opera in a week and so we had amateur musicians we had young professionals they would arrive on a Monday and we'd spend the whole of the week kind of full seven days it, it was a residential place so people would stay over I would kind of move in with them all um, and we'd spend the, the week putting together a fully staged performance of um, a baroque opera and um, Handel was often um, the operas that were chosen, and I, I just got so into them. And yeah, I've yeah haven't really looked back ever since. So my playlist has kind of grown like that over time. Mm -hmm. So every time I've kind of had an interest, it's just stayed there on the playlist, and then I've gone on to something else, and it's kind of yeah developed like that. Tying in music with education for a second, whenever I'm in a school and talking to a director of music, quite often I'll see in the music department uh, posters up to do with I don't know Mozart or going back Talis or people like that. Uh, but then there's often a picture of of John Williams, and I'll of, I'll often ask the director of music, you know, do you have John Williams there because he's the kind of person that children will associate more with because he did music for Star Wars and E.T. and Indiana Jones and all of those things that we recognise, whereas you know the likes of of someone that that the children might see as being very old fashioned, it might be harder to get them into it. And, and and every single music director says, no, no, John Williams really is right up there. It's not just a case that of, of people recognize his music from films. That's not why he's up here on the wall, but he's here because in 500 years time, we'll be listening to John Williams music in the same way that we listen to Mozart from the 18th century right now. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think um, definitely. I mean, there's a lot of um, contemporary composers that are doing some really remarkable work. I mean, the artist management agency that I worked for just before I came into the kind of the um, the education industry they represented some like amazing contemporary composers um, that are doing some you know, fantastic work and yeah I mean it's certainly not of a lesser quality than the you know, prior generations. So tell me this and this is my last question on music and, and then we'll move on to, to a couple of other things but a couple of years ago I was at one of the proms in um, in the Royal Albert Hall because uh, generally I I'll, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go along to about five of them every year. And there was one piece of music. It was a modern piece of music. And I was, you know, I knew that it was a modern piece of music. And I was, you know, I wasn't sort of hoping that it would be in the style of Mozart or anything like that. But the conductor, it, it was, he was really considerate. Before he started playing, he, he waited for a, for a few seconds. Because outside of the Albert Hall, there was a, there was a dog barking. Now, the Albert Hall is a big place. But this must have been a very loud dog. 
But he waited for a few seconds, probably about 10 seconds, for this dog to be quiet. And then I realised that the dog barking was actually part of the music. And there was a guy on a keyboard who was playing the sound of a dog barking on his keyboard. And then there was someone else who, who appeared with two sticks and hit them together. And then someone else did some other kind of random... Honestly, I mean, I'm open to new styles of music, but this to me was just ridiculously modern to the point that in my mind it was just noises on stage and that went on for about a quarter of an hour there are a number of people getting up and walking out do you you think that we're missing a trick by not investing time listening to this or are people just taking the mick i mean it it kind of reminds me of the the piece by john cage four minutes 33 seconds where it's just four minutes 33 seconds of silence yeah Um, good good example what's that all about and and the nice part of that is that it's I mean, the thing that I take from it is that it's not about the music's being played on the stage. Like, while the music's being played in a live environment, there are all kinds of other noises going on. You know, you can hear birds tweeting outside, people shuffling their programs, and, you know, that's part of the experience. And so that piece, I feel, just kind of highlights that. And so, I mean, it's I guess it depends on what the audience wants to get out of the experience. I'm sure people go to, you know, a very heavy metal concert and go, this is just noise, whereas other people take something else from it. So I think... Good way of putting it. Good way of putting it. I mean, I think with all music, there's an audience for it. And I mean, I personally wouldn't want to sit through a Taylor Swift concert, but, you know, that plenty of people do. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, okay. All right, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. Uh, you mentioned about family. Uh, tell me a little bit about your family. Yeah, so I've got... Um, a baby that was just born last year so I've got a one-year-old son I've got a seven-year-old daughter and and then an 11-year-old stepdaughter who's just started secondary school this year so 11 7 and 1 gosh so that that's a that's a bit of a jump going from age seven or six at the time back to newborn and nappies and everything again yeah no tell me about it yeah I'm still I'm still not sleeping particularly well but um yeah no it was it's it's very good it's yeah it's really nice different bringing up a boy than with the girls um, yeah, already. I mean, at the age of one, you kind of kind of see little differences with, with the kind of way that they want to play and things. But yeah, no, it's it's all good. Sometimes people say that they worry about the state of the world when it comes to bringing up their own children. Is that something that that, that bothers you too much? You know, when you look at what's happening around the world, what what people talk about on social media about the political situation in the US and things like that? Or is it just a case of that's current news and there's always something going on? Yeah, I mean, I think the latter, certainly. I mean, I think if you worry about those things too much, um, I mean, you kind of worry about everything. I'm very kind of in the now, really, in, in my kind of approach to that kind of thing. Fane, tell me something about what you get up to when you're when you're not at work, whether it's the weekend, whether it's the evening, whether it's during a summertime break, even though school marketing and admissions people often don't get as much of a break as teaching staff might do. But often it is a little bit quieter and we get the chance to do a little bit more. But what do you do? How do you spend your time? Yeah, I mean, with, with three children, it's, it's kind of hard to fit in a lot of time for things that I want to do. So it's a lot of, you know, day trips. It's a lot of kind of zoos and, um, you know, things like that for the kids. So over the summer, we didn't want to um, we didn't want to go anywhere too adventurous with a baby because obviously that brings a lot of hassle and things to it. So we, we did a lot of day trips, a lot of long weekends. So it was quite nice. I had a lot of annual leave, so I took long weekends rather than um, a block. We did go away to Norfolk um, for a week with some family, which was quite nice. It was a good good break they had children around the same age as ours, so it was nice for them to kind of play together. I mean, if I had more time, um, me and my wife, um, we do film challenges. So the, we do these 48-hour film challenges. Um, so she is um, a media teacher. She teaches media production, and we 
I mean, she introduced me to it when we first met, um, and we've kind of done it maybe a couple of times every year, um, less so in, in recent mm -hmm. years. There's a lot of film festivals that offer 48-hour film challenges where they give you a brief um, on the Friday evening. Um, you get given a line of dialogue, um, a prop, sometimes a, a theme. Um, so you get these, these kind of bits, and then you go away and you have to script and storyboard um, your own film about it you usually film all day saturday edit on the sunday and submit it to the competition oh, you're kidding yeah so it's it's a really i mean it's you know short kind of four or five minute films i mean we, we both really enjoy filmmaking um kind of amateur filmmaking but it's it's a good way to kind of focus that attention on something because if we try to make something a bit bigger or go oh we'll do it over a period of a few weeks it's just it just never happens it's hard to get people together whereas if it's concentrated in a weekend we just gather you know a crew together we you know usually work with similar people but you know different actors kind of come in and we have someone doing the sound and someone kind of helping with locations and things um, and it's just you know crazy 48 hours but you end up with something to show for it at the end and I mean, we never do particularly well in these things, but we did once get shortlisted and screened nice. um, at a theatre in London, which was really nice to kind of go down and see it in, in a cinema. Wow. Um, and we submitted one of them to the Bedford Film Festival, and we, we won an award for Best Short Film or something. Amazing. Not quite a while back. Um, so, yeah, no, th those are really good fun, and I wish I had more time to do yeah, it. Yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah, life kind of gets in the way. Well, it does a little bit. You're absolutely right. But equally, that's the kind of thing that, you know, unlike. I don't know, rock climbing or something like that, that as as we all get a little bit older in life, you'll be able to carry on doing that. So does that mean then that you do that you have the chance to do some filmmaking at the Lees as well at school? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that I love about kind of these roles in schools is that, I mean, with marketing, it's a lovely mix of kind of data and targets and analytics and all those kind of things, which definitely tick my boxes. But also you have that vein of creativity kind of running through it. So you have... Um, you know, photography, graphic design, filmmaking, and often schools tend to outsource quite a lot of these things. Um, I mean, we do still do that because there's obviously times when we need to work with professionals like yourselves on, you know, film projects and getting in a photographer for, you know, a, a proper campaign day. But I think I see it when people outsource things like little bits of graphic design, short kind of talking head films. It's just outsourcing all the fun out of the job. So I like to kind of take all that on. So, yeah, we do often make short films. We've made a few kind of promotional films for things. I mean, they're nothing too exciting at the school. It's mostly, you know, just talking head and B-roll stuff. But it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice to get the camera out and and also to kind of engage with members of staff um, with these things because they're often very keen to get involved and they see it as very exciting to, to you know, take take a part in the marketing like that um, but yeah we do all the photography and things we've got quite nice camera equipment so we do um, quite a bit of photography for social media but also because we've got the nicer quality equipment often we get good usable photos for campaigns and things like that well it's great to have that resource in-house it really is uh, I, I guess that means you can do more frequent short things you know like you know a little bit here and a little bit there instead of waiting for somebody to come in um let's just jump back to films for a second then do you enjoy watching films as well as shooting them yeah oh definitely yeah i mean we we do watch a lot of films and a lot of tv and things what was the last good film you watched then um so recently we've been having a bit of a quentin tarantino marathon cool. um so we started with reservoir dogs and moved all the way through to once upon a time in hollywood um and yeah i mean some of those films i've seen a lot so pulp fiction is kind of one of my favorite films and, and i've seen you know um kill bill and things quite a lot but um, there's little ones in between like jackie brown i haven't seen that much and death proof which is i think i've only seen that twice but it was really nice to kind of watch them in order and see see that kind of develop so that was nice death proof a little bit a little bit troubling uh, i've only seen that once but i remember one drawn out scene where someone's driving in the car is it kurt russell i can't remember now 
he's he's driving in the car. There, there's a, a woman on the bonnet of the car. Is she tied to the bonnet of the car? I think. Is she or is she stuck when he because he, he he uses the car as a weapon to like run people. He over does. Yeah. I mean, oh yeah. yes, it's um, it, it's quite dark. That was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Great film. Great film. Yeah. And. A long film, and all the way through it, I was thinking to myself, "This isn't very Tarantino in in this in the in in the lack of violence." Let's put it that way. Until you get to the last yeah. scene in the film, and then it kind of makes up for the lack of violence in the rest of the film put together. Exactly. Yeah, I felt the same thing. I think. Yeah, I mean, the other thing that we've been watching a lot is Will Ferrell films. Um, oh, very different so to a Tarantino I then. Absolutely love Will Ferrell. Um, I watched Step Brothers and just remembered how brilliant that film is. And then I just started watching, kind of going through them, um, kind of whatever was available on Netflix. I think I watched Anchorman and the other guys and yeah, getting ready for Elf at Christmas. And yeah, it's kind of where I'm at at the moment. Now, have you ever heard of Secret Cinema in London? I have heard of it, yeah. I've never been. It's this kind of concept where you are, where, where you book a ticket to go along and essentially you you go along to watch a film, but you don't go along to watch a film. You go along to partake in an immersive experience for about a two or three hour window prior to everybody watching the film. So I've been to a couple of these before uh, I did a, uh, I did Blade Runner and I did Moulin Rouge. There was another one I did as well. I can't remember now. But you're given a character and then you dress up. And it's not a case of dressing up is an optional thing. Every single person dresses up. Like if you turned up there and you hadn't bothered to dress up, you'd probably just go home because you'd be, you know, it'd just be really, really strange. But they've got a whole load of actors there as well. They have a whole set. And it's like you're in the film before you all then watch the film. Yeah. I'd, I'd really recommend it. I, I think it'd be yeah, right up your awesome. street. Yeah, no, that sounds really good. Yeah, I'll definitely have a look at that. They tend to do them all throughout the year. Um, but they had they tend, they generally have a big one in summertime. The last big one they had was Greece. But, but it's, it's always films that most people will know. Uh, so it makes it a really good thing to go along to. Now, Faint, I see you sipping from a water bottle there, and I can't help but notice that's an Amkiss water bottle because I've got one myself. It is indeed. <laughs> yeah. Now, that's from not this year's conference, the last year's. It is, yeah. It's, it's sat on my desk ever since. Um, I'm surrounded by Amkiss merchandise. I've got the coffee cup. I've got the coaster. Um, I've got a bag somewhere. You, you've got an Amkiss pen in your hand there as well, I can see. It is. Shameful, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Uh, I love that. So the last time I saw you was actually at the Amkiss conference. Even though we're not talking about work, tell me one thing that you enjoy about being at a conference like that. I think it's less what happens in the sessions, um, but what kind of what happens around, um, you know, the dinner table, what happens, uh, you know, in between those sessions. And it's just great catching up with people. It was really lovely this time. Um, catching up with Julie and Sophie, who I used to work with at Bedford Modern. Um, it was nice to kind of see, I guess, the first time I've seen them since I left, which is a shame because we should have met up because we're, we're all still living in Bedford. But um, yeah, it's just nice to, to kind of see people and catch up. And it's a great venue. I love the venue um, down in the Cotswolds. Well, hopefully next year's will be in the same venue, but we'll need to uh, we'll need to check that with Tori and Rachel, uh, Rachel Kerr to find out where, where that's going to be. Fane, I'm keeping an eye on time here, especially because we're recording this during the day. So uh, I should leave you to get back to your job. But in the meantime, if people wanted to find you uh, online, what, is it best on LinkedIn or something like that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn um, almost constantly. So yeah, LinkedIn's good. Okay, we'll put a link to your uh, to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes here. But in the meantime, let's bring this one to a close. But thank you for being here. It's been really good talking to you, finding out more about Fane as a person for when you're not at work. Lovely. Thank you, Simon. Yeah, good to see you. So that was Fane Henderson, top bloke, and clearly someone who's a big fan of Amkiss as well. A big thank you to him for joining us on I'd Rather Be at the Beach. 
Now, if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, then do please drop me a message. I'm Simon at thebonjouragency.com. We make podcasts for school marketing to help to connect you with your school community to drive out new inquiries from prospective parents. To find out more, check out the website www.thebonjouragency.com. I would have taken bonjouragency.com, but it was already gone. So it's thebonjouragency.com. Or you can give me a call directly on 020-7858-2246. But in the meantime, the next episode of this podcast is coming out soon. So click that option to follow or subscribe, and it just means you won't miss it. We'll see you next time. Bye for now.